of the Founders DNA, an interview series of hustlers and entrepreneurs where we delve deep into the DNA of these individuals to explore what makes a successful founder. I'm your host, Aisha Ghoshal, and for this episode, we have Sanil Sachar as our guest. Sanil is the co-founder and partner at Huddle. Huddle is an incubation platform that is powered by the philosophy of mentorship, bringing together startups and industry leaders across industry sectors, to provide dedicated mentorship, access to investment, and growth opportunities. So, let's get this started and delve deeper by hearing from Sunil. Sunil, thank you so much for joining me on the Founders DNA podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much. Um, so Sanil is the co-founder and partner at Huddle, an accelerator that doesn't believe in the one-size-fit-all adage. So why don't we start with you telling us a bit about what Huddle is all about? If I had to put um, a one-line description of what Huddle is to begin with, we're an ecosystem enabler that ensures that you're always investment ready. Now, if I had to extend on what investment ready really means, it just means you're always on the ball, you're always ahead of the game. I think that's what um, the terminology of a huddle really stands for. My co-founder and I, we both come from sports backgrounds. We're both uh, sports junkies to put in the most uh, elaborate way, to be honest, <laughs> of who we are. Uh, we realize the importance of what a huddle uh, provides to mm. a sports person. In a huddle, you're standing next to those that are most important to you and those that you have to trust. Our primary role over here as an incubator, and, and you know, thank you for rightly mentioning, we don't believe in a one-size-fits-all. I think everyone has their own growth curve, everyone has their own speed of growing. What we typically do, which is a standard approach, is that when we onboard an organization as part of our portfolio, it could be across sectors, they could be across any part of the country, uh, we just ensure that one part of Huddle leaves Huddle and joins you. And for the for us, that is the mentor base that we have created. These are experts in industries, but more importantly, experts in certain solutions. Because every founder is great, in fact, much better than anyone else at what they do, but they probably have a few secondary strengths, in which case a lot of us identify those as weaknesses. It's our job as um, an incubator or an accelerator, bearing in mind the stage of the company we're working with, to ensure that we make their secondary strengths their strengths. But while we do that, we ensure we create an infrastructure, we provide them the mentors, um, and we work with them to the time where they can reach an autopilot stage. We don't believe in three months, six months, or 12 month courses. Um, it's extremely flexible, um, primarily because while we're sector agnostic, we are also entrepreneur agnostic. And to be entrepreneur agnostic, you've got to realize that every entrepreneur will pivot and... Uh, so what do you mean by entrepreneur agnostic? I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna get a lot of, uh, a lot of stick and a lot of hate for saying <laughs> this, but you know, what the hell, let me just say it. I think entrepreneurs, and they should be, um, stubborn to a certain extent. Mm. Um, but there's also uh, an, a radar of how stubborn an entrepreneur can be and should be. 
So when I mean entrepreneur agnostic, I think an entrepreneur should stand and, and stand straight to what they believe in. But to a certain extent, the pivot comes when they realize that they are following something because of their emotional gut rather than their entrepreneurial gut. And I believe uh, that's where you have to be agnostic to being able to deal with someone who's on both sides of the pole. Got it. So um, the idea of this podcast is to dive deeper into the person behind a founder and discover what's, what unique experiences both in their childhood and um, professional ar arenas have had on them and why. And also identify the guiding values that have led them to be doing what they're doing now and what they've learned along the way. So that's the philosophy that this podcast um, goes by. Therefore, keeping in line with that, I thought we could start with, I know we've covered a bit about mm -hmm. why you started Huddle and what Huddle is about, but if you could start by telling us a bit about the concept mm -hmm. of what was it that made you start Huddle? Um, like any business begins with, or any idea really begins with identifying a gap. There's a reason this is the most commonly used uh, opening line to any business um, and that's because it's it's a cliche that is ne necessary it's never going to sh shift uh, for us we saw a huge gap in the fact that there is no one long path for an entrepreneur's journey well we keep telling entrepreneurs it's a marathon it's not a sprint it's a marathon it's not a sprint and they <laughs> keep hearing this over and over again but when you have to really put down the fact that if the entrepreneur was a train what kind of what kind of railway path have you created for them? Um, you can call them different stations where they stop. So they stop, they begin with their own idea. Then they go on to the next station, which is building their team. Then they go on to the next station, which is getting incubated by the right mentors, then having the right investors, then having the, in, probably an accelerator if they need to grow, then getting VC investments, and so on and so forth. Now that in itself has just been a journey that we've been able to dictate, but it's not easier said than done. For us at Huddle, it ha again, like just repeating, we wanted to work with the entrepreneurs that are agnostic in their sectors, but we wanted to ensure that we've created an ecosystem for them so that they can focus on what we like the most about them, them and their ideas. So what we essentially do and why we started what we do is that we ensured that every time an entrepreneur comes on board, we've got enough enablers. These can be our partner funds, our partner accelerators, and many a times even pre-incubators or incubators working with us so that if we all believe in what that entrepreneur is building, we have to ensure that they just keep focusing on it. It's almost like a derby horse. You've got to ensure that they're looking straight at that finishing line. And, and that, in essence, is the philosophical reason why Huddle's been created as this tight ecosystem between us and each and every stakeholder that we have. So you s mentioned that you had a very keen interest in sports. So how has that influenced what you're doing right now? The most important learning that different forms of sports has um, Sorry, where you, like, did you play sports or was it like, where did that come from? I've, I've been playing sports since I was, since, ever since I can remember walking and falling. I think, uh, and then it shifted into a more serious uh, participation in sports where I started competing um, in, this was particularly in football, started playing uh, club level and um, played tennis at, 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 at a state level as well. But the learnings didn't come only because I, I was fortunate to play at uh, a higher standard of 
the sport. It really came from just playing any sport, even training in that perspective. And the biggest learning was that the countless number of times that you lose or are as short as one incorrect kick away or one wrong stroke away from winning um, teaches you what you're going to do next that will help you overcome your last defeat with yourself. So in essence, or in the shortest way, it taught us to be patient. At, at Huddle, that is the first and foremost principle that we believe we need to inculcate in ourselves before we uh, try and induce it in any of our founders. Be patient. And you can only be patient if, you're very, if you trust what you're doing. Mm. Um, you can only trust it if you've got a team where you can delegate work to. Um, and you can only do that if you know how to lead what you're best at. It's these four principles that have been stemmed from uh, both, again, Ishan and my uh, love for sports and uh, the learnings that it gives us each day. How do you inculcate patience in your entrepreneurs? Like, is there a specific, is it a process? I think, you know, I think first we've got to all admit and just face that an entrepreneur is typically what a Red Bull can is with legs. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're energetic, yeah. they're, um, they want to be everywhere, and there's nothing wrong in that. There's, um, as long as they're not greedy yeah. and they see the potential, you know, there's, then at least there's a sigh of relief that they know that they can get there, they don't have to be there and everywhere at the same time. But I think in order to reinstate that working slowly actually enables you to deliver quicker, mm. uh, you've got to create call to actions. So it's not, you know, where we're sitting right now, I don't think that we should be spending, as entrepreneurs, spending too much time in a boardroom. I don't think we should be spending time, of course, create your presentations, but don't, don't believe that that is going to be what you should put your hand on and take the oath on. Mm. And you've got to be out there, you've got to be able to feel the pulse of each stakeholder, your customer more importantly than anyone else. So what we, what we do as practice is every two weeks we touch base with each of our entrepreneurs and each of our companies to ensure that the call to actions that we put together for each and every member within Huddle, within their organization, has reached some sort of progress. Even if it's progress not made, we have to just acknowledge that. Only once you see some sort of movement in your meter can you realize what you're being patient towards. And lastly, in the circumstance, and I'm not going to say in the unlikely circumstance because that's not true, but in more often than not where you believe that your first instinct was not paying off the value that it should, you've got to be the first one to acknowledge that you need to change what you're doing. Because otherwise, you'll just be impatient into getting any result rather than being patient to realize that you've actually moved away from getting a terrible result that will not repay over and over again. You know, a combination of being flexible and patient at yeah, the same yeah. time. <laughs> again, like I said, it's easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, um, how was your evolution process from what you started the way Huddle was when you first started and the way it is now or what you see Huddle being going forward? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Or what are some of the I, things that you've that have changed or evolved? No, I think yeah, it's a you know the same the same answer for what I believe are two questions pointing towards the same direction. I think what we started off as um, and what we're going to be remains the same. How it's evolved is probably different. I'll, I'll elaborate on that. 
when we when we started off, like I said, our biggest ambition, I think, I think uh, where we would be happy to believe we're succeeding is if we were the go-to people for startups, even if we weren't fully engaged with them. We didn't have to be, they didn't have to be a portfolio company, but as long as the ideas are brewing with us, you know, through a brainstorming session or uh, working with any of our portfolio companies, as long as you could trust the huddle that we're creating for you, uh, did we believe that there's, there's a much larger picture that we're going towards? Because huddle by the end of it is not just the entrepreneurs, it's also mm. the investors that are working with us or uh, their respective portfolios. And that's where it's going to be as well. Mm. We're going to just keep increasing the huddle of mentors, of investors that we're working towards. Uh, we're going to keep rein reinventing the kind of work that we should do with um, our incubates because incubates today they don't need fixed programs. Tomorrow they might not need mentors. Tomorrow they might not need investors. We don't know. I'm just, but we have to be able to just gauge what they're doing right now and reverse the model before they demand demand it because that's how we'll be able to keep up to speed with them rather than others believing that they need to keep up to speed with us. How it's changed is the realization that you have to keep up to speed with the entrepreneur. <laughs> Um, that's the only reason, and I, I said this recently, um, it, I wrote it in an article that when we demand certain deliverables from startups, as, and I'm talking about ev any enabler in the ecosystem, we've got to ensure that we know our deliverables to them as well. Mm. If we don't know our deliverables, we cannot demand any from them. And that has been yeah. our biggest learning. That's fair enough, it's a two-way street. It's absolutely yeah. a two-way street. Sounds great. Yeah. So I was thinking let's deviate a bit okay. and talk about how you were as a child. So what was your, because I know you had, you have a keen interest in sports. So what was your dream job essentially? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. Um, oh, were there too many? <laughs> I think, no, I think as, as a, I think as a child I was, I was, being polite to say I was notorious. Right? That would be one way of saying it. I think I was. I, I love spending time outdoors, um, mm. and I think inevitably that meant uh, being in sports. For me, it was always uh, wanting to play football, and then I got the opportunity to experience uh, the world as a writer. So I, oh yeah, I How wrote. How did that happen? Um, again, I think that I, I credit that to to playing sports when I when I shifted to England when I was a teenager. And I started, I started blogging my work. Uh, one of my closest friends um, reinstated that I should create a proper blog, which he helped me build. And that picked me up, that helped me get picked up as, as a writer. And I started writing um, my first book at the time. And you know, that evolved into a couple of more. And I experienced that, but again, a lot of the learnings came through just uh, my principle in, in sports, to be patient. And um, I think that's, that's where, I still believe I'm a sports person. Uh, I'm just not on on the field. I'm just still using the same mm -hmm. principles, uh, you know, juggling with. You're the enabling entrepreneurs. someone else to be on the field. Yeah, I guess I'm <laughs> I'm assisting someone else to score the goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so how have, obviously you've had a very varied childhood and mm -hmm. experiences. So how have some of your choices molded you? How have those choices influenced you to run? Huddle the way you do. Um, okay, I'm going to shift away from sports because mm -hmm. you know I, I think I've reinstated that. Uh, that definitely is my biggest learning. But apart from that, I think 
being and going back to the fact that I was slightly notorious um, <laughs> and I think I made many impulsive decisions, mm. um, several impulsive decisions. But why I credit them is because they helped me believe that you should trust your gut um, for two reasons. If you trust your gut, more often than not, you are right because you're working towards making that decision correct. It's just it's an animal instinct in us to ensure that the decision you make, you want to make sense of it. Again, this goes back to where, how stubborn you are as an entrepreneur. Mm. Or, and then it goes back to the fact that can you face that you made an incorrect decision. So it's, it's rooted to the prior points that I was making. And the other reason why I believe making instant decisions is important is because it's speed that often wins the game. Not because you're making rash decisions, because you're being able to move on to the correct decision faster and to be able to then spend time on it. Um, so I think being spontaneous was, um, a, you know, at the time, a nuisance for a lot of people. <laughs> and I, I credit that as... Um, so how do you balance making the right decision fast as well as being patient from an entrepreneur's perspective? So to, to make the... Uh, okay, it's almost like, would I, would I make a product that is... Uh, the perfect product or would I make a product? I would make a product. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go out there to figure out what makes it perfect. So in essence, if I had to make this glass sitting in, sitting in front of us, uh, if I had to take this out to the market, I'd rather take it right now and figure out how many ml should this glass be? And then figure out if 250 is the exact amount that makes it a perfect product, then we work on it. That's what I'll be patient on. Making it 250 ml the same way that's ergonomically accepted by the market. But until then, we work from it being a 60 ml, 80 ml, that doesn't matter. But I need to ensure that the customers enjoy it, not as a one-time, not as a, a good to have, but a must have. Hmm. That's very important. Yeah. So the crux of this podcast is the fact that does someone need to be inherently entrepreneurial in nature, or is it something that can be taught or learned through experiences. So what are your thoughts about that? What has been your experience? Mm, that's a tough one because I think the term, I, okay, I think firstly the term entrepreneur is, it's, it's just too fancy. <laughs> so what would you um, class it as? Wow, that's a that's that's two questions in one. I don't think I don't think we're we're, we're allowed to do that. Uh, we can break it down. No, I okay. I think uh, an entrepreneur is, um, is again a marathon runner. So, but the term entrepreneur just makes it seem so fancy. It it, mm. it paints this. Same. So basically, someone who's founded a company, for okay. example. So I do. Okay. So do you need to have the entrepreneurial instinct? Do you need to be born with it? No. Not at all. Mm -hmm. uh, what makes an entrepreneur is someone that is willing to invest the most important resource, which is their time, into building an asset that could potentially crash. That is what makes an entrepreneur. Why I say potentially crash? Because that is where the animal instinct comes in, where you want to make sure that it does not. And in order to do that, you have to continuously fight. So it takes a lot of resilience, it takes a lot of vigor, in order to do that. That is what an entrepreneur is. I don't think we're, and we're born with that. I would say we're all born with the entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. because all it takes is a lot of persistence and perseverance to ensure that you're not going to fall face first. 
Um, so yes, we're born uh, like as, as entrepreneurs, but do you need to be born with that? No, you have to just figure out what you're willing to invest your time in to open that part of your energy. It's, it's, it's just that one box in your body that just waits. So what do up. you think, well, at least from your perspective, yeah. what, ha what do you think was the, was it one single deciding factor or was mm. it a series of things that made you um, start this path that you're on? Um, okay, so I, I was very fortunate to be a part of um, seeing a venture grow beforehand, um, before Huddle as well. And the reason I saw it grow is because I was being mentored and guided by people that were running the business, people that had invested in it. Um, and what that made me realize is that we weren't building something for ourselves. The second I started realizing that, that this is, you know, tomorrow if we were to stop what we're doing, there is someone else that can take it forward. And I think that, that feeling of re that realization that you're building something so much larger uh, and not just in scale, in just the impact that it's going to leave, um, it gives me, uh, I don't have the right adjective to it. It just gives me a sense of belief that anything you do will never be enough, but that's not from the negative. It's mm. from the positive to say that you have to just keep building keep it. Going. You have to just keep it going. And every little contribution of what you're doing, even if you choose today not to do it because you don't believe you'll put 100%, is worth it. Um, it's that was the than yesterday. Yes, and that was that feeling, that, that was that moment where I said, you know, that's essentially what Huddle is. Um, we will always look, even the portfolios that we're not a part of anymore because they've just grown larger than one needing huddle. Mm. That in itself is great because they're impacting lives and you know, not from just an impact from a CSR point of view, but really their product, their services uh, are ch shaping the way we look at life right now. Interesting. I know you've had a very varied um, past in terms of you've done a lot of things. Mm. So how did your family or your parents react to when you said you're going to start this venture? They definitely saw it before me. Yeah? Yeah. They, Why uh, do you think that is? So I've been um, extremely fortunate uh, to have a, a family, um, you know, my, my sister, my parents, uh, everyone. They so I come from a very entrepreneurial family and I think uh, whether it's a part of just our DNA to, you know, try something that we believe in. And I say try because we always go in with the intention that, yeah, it might not work out. But that in itself makes us realize that it's it's probably gonna yeah. you know, be something worth continuously fighting for till it works out for someone else. And then you know it's worked out. So they were definitely there from the start. Um, but if I had to take you, you know, a little back, hmm. when, I, when I told them, um, I'll give you two instances. When I, when I, when I mentioned to them that I was going to get published, uh, when I got offered to get published as, as, as a writer back in 2013, and I told them, I was, I was, it was almost like I won like, this lottery that I didn't even buy the ticket for. And they, you know, they, told me, they gave me critical, like a lot of feedback. And they said, for your next one. And I remember t stopping them right there and saying, there is no next one. You know, this, is, this was luck and it's, it's yeah. worked out. And they just laughed. They, they literally just laughed. And um, of course, you know, I was proven incorrect and they were proven correct, luckily, where multiple books came out, out of that and I could take the learnings from the first one. So when the intention of building Huddle came about, um, it was never about 
when you're starting, it was almost it was always the second step is what we were looking at. So they always have acted like mentors and st stood ahead of the curve to say, what's your next move? Mm -hmm. And that's always enabled me to realize that you know they believe in this, and um, I guess you know that's that's been uh, literally the icing on the cake. Nice. So it's interesting you brought up this point because obviously they essentially have become your support system. So how important has or how important is a support system mm -hmm. in this in a startup ecosystem? Um, being in the startup ecosystem, while it's vast in you know the way. India is growing, we can go into numbers, but mm. I'm just going to stay straight away from numbers right now. <laughs> because what an entrepreneur is, or what a startup is, it's, it's, a, it's a terribly lonely mm. start. And um, it, that's because at, at first, it's only you who believes in your idea. And then you have to play salesperson and try and get someone else to believe in it who can join you. Uh, be it a co-founder, be it a team member. And then you're always playing salesperson in essence then. Just even to yourself when you have to sell the next best idea to your own product or service. So to have a support system um, is the first element that I believe a startup should create. It should be that team uh, that they can take bounce off ideas from. Uh, not to get ideas from them, but more importantly, to get out their thoughts. And going back to the fact that because being an entrepreneur is such so lonely, not because you're alone, but because you believe you're in this just by yourself. You say one of the first things you should do is create a support system. So how do you go about creating that? What are some of the things that you've done, for example? Mm. So I think when, when um, Ishan and I stumbled upon the idea of Huddle, and we realized that uh, the path ahead of what we're trying to build uh, was common. How we wanted to build it is what we decided upon. Um, that's, what, that's where you need to begin. You need to begin by uh, figuring out where you always want to be in the second step or the third step, uh, exactly where you're not right now. Uh, then you start talking to people that believe in your idea, not for the sake of believing in it, but the sake of being able to give you some positive or negative criticism, however you want to see it, whatever is uh, constructive criticism. Um, and definitely get yourself those who have done, uh, have been a part of the same industry. Get yourself someone who's been a part of the same industry. Get someone who does, definitely doesn't believe in that industry. Oh, why uh, is that? Because you get a perspective from what you view as a very negative lens. And then you've got to play advocate and start fighting that in your own head. You don't have to try and explain it to the other person. They don't believe in it. They're not going to believe in it. Mm. They're not your customer. They're the person that buys Coca-Cola and not Pepsi. Sell them the wrong product and just see how that works. Again, you're just sharpening up your own skills. Uh, and more importantly, a support system is also mentors. And these people can be, they don't necessarily have to be older than you, younger than you. They don't have to be in your in the same field. It has to be someone that understands your daily struggles. Um, I think that's what a support system is first. So someone who's gone through what you've gone through. Is yes. But don't, I, I, and I don't think we should seek for decisions through them. They will always mm. throw the right questions. It's almost like you're talking to, I mean, it's just riddles on riddles. That's what you're going to get. But you should <laughs> be able to, you know, uh, try and figure out that cryptic message yourself. 
So now that you've been a founder for the past few years, how has that, um, looking back, what are some of the experiences that you're glad you went through? Uh, okay, I'm not going to take names, of course, but I'm going to yeah. talk about a few uh, experiences. I, I'm glad, I'm, I'm actually very glad we went through uh, a breach of trust mm -hmm. um, very early on in our days where um, I think we, we still believe this and we still stand by it that what you say and what you've said is what you'll do and what you've done. And um, we still believe in that. However, we faced, we faced a very, very significant uh, loss at the time where we realized that what we had said and what we believed would then formalize into con contractually the same uh, agreement. Uh, Thus, we let a little bit of leeway in the timeline, but in retrospect, it, we shouldn't have done it because uh, I think we got utilized uh, or used in, in a more harsh term. Mm -hmm. The reason I take that as a huge learning is because it would have, if we would have tried past that incident and actually continued working with the said entity, um, we would have wasted a lot of our time because one day or the other, it would have happened. Mm -hmm. um, so it took very limited energy at the time to have uh, made us realize something that reinstated that why we should stick on our same path and not actually put our guard up, rather than putting our guard up just because we faced it. Because after that, when we stuck to the same way, where again, what we say is what we do, and what we've said is what we've done. We want to ensure that because those that believe in it and those that have believed in us have helped us you know, reach where we are right now and be proud of what we're doing right now. And, and uh, that was one. The other experience that I, I'm really glad uh, we've gone through. I don't know. I'm, I'm, try I'm trying to choose between the dark and the darker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe go for the darker. <laughs> Maybe go for the darker. No, that was actually luckily the darkest uh, <laughs> moment. No, I mean, anytime you feel that someone's breached, you know, tread past to tr yeah. trust. But um, I think we've, what we realized over time um, and reinstated over time is that being patient uh, is, is the best form. Um, in order to do that, what we've realized is just staying occupied day in and day out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, make sure you have a to-do list every day, not just for the sake of being busy. Yeah. I'm not trying to like quote Dylan where he said, you know, get busy living or get busy <laughs> dying or anything. But I, I think it's very important to stay busy on your next chapter mm -hmm. while working on your current because there will come a time where you've put your full stop on the, the last chapter and you've moved on to the next one. So, and just, you're just trying to reap or, you know, a value of what mm -hmm. you've already done. So when you're busy, you don't get consumed um, with wanting results. And in the industry that we're all in right now, you can get so fixated on others' progress that you, yeah. that you start to believe that that which you have made is never going to satisfy your need when it's actually your greed speaking in that moment. Yeah, those are pretty great learnings. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you obviously have a co-founder and you obviously have a, a big team. So how has that been like and how does working with other people and what are some of the challenges or what are some of the learnings that, yeah, that you've had? I mean, you get to learn so much because um, they're so much better at what they do than you are. Um, that is, I say this with no doubt that um, my my team works significantly uh, better, uh, and we all work as hard. 
The reason I know they work significantly better is because the delegation of all our roles is um, equally divided as per our interests. And I don't particularly mean only our strengths, because it's our interests where we started building our learnings. Hmm. And um, the biggest learning for us has been, or for me personally, has been that if you delegated your work to them, don't question them on how they're doing the work, but ensure that the communication is in sync. There is minimal to no lag behind in your communication. How we ensure to do that is we'll brief and debrief every day. Um, be it for five minutes, be it for multiple more. But we ensure that we're all up to speed, not to check in on our progress, but to just look forward to new learnings that are coming in every day. So that, and then on Fridays, for instance, we spend even more of our time just brainstorming. It doesn't have to be relevant to any of our portfolios. It just has to ensure that as we move on to a new week, our mind is not cluttered. It's almost like I mentioned earlier where an um, entrepreneur has to speak their mind out. We have to, we're entrepreneurs. Everyone's mm. an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, or a lot of people call them entrepreneurs. It's the same <laughs> yeah. by the end of it. But So it's communication uh, that has taught, taught me that um, that's how we learn. It's delegation. And it's more importantly having a team that's much better at what you're not doing. So it's interesting you brought up that point because you obviously, to be at the forefront of innovation, yeah. you have to constantly keep on learning and evolving and being up to date. Yeah. So how, what is your process? You obviously mm. um, mentioned the fact that you have constant connects with your team, but could you elaborate mm. on what are some of the process that you follow to be at the forefront? Uh, okay, so I have a, a set rhythm to my, to my day. Um, the first is any so sort of exercise, and that's because I want to start the day with um, releasing yesterday's energy um, in order to start as fresh as a blank page is. Um, in order to do that and start consume the right sort of information, I'll read. My, my first hour just goes into reading, and I wish I could tell you what all I read, but it's, at the end of it, it's just... We'll come back to yeah, that. <laughs> it's just a bunch of different material, be it mm -hmm. you know, just different kind of blogs or articles that I've been able to cut out. Um, sometimes uh, observations and work that I've written uh, a few weeks before, a few days before, which brings me to the next stage of how we choose to learn is just by going out and talking to our customers. And our customers many times are our startups, um, hearing from them what they dislike and what they like. and Every Friday, as I mentioned, we will ensure that we do a brain we do brainstorming sessions. We'll talk about marketing plans. We'll talk about different industries that don't exist right now, that shouldn't exist right now. We'll try and argue with each other. Because each time we argue with each other, we're trying to um, test two factors in you. When do you break? And how far is your thought process going? And these are a few practices that we ensure. And more importantly, where our energy should go in when we look at different sectors and how can each and every one of our ecosystem partners help them so we start making plans of where we should be uh, and then just take little steps towards that that's great so how do you think you've grown over the last few years professionally throughout your journey like what would you say you were some of your maybe hardest growing pains essentially there was this time where um, we were finding it fairly hard to figure out which 
industries to begin with. Because while we are sector agnostic, we didn't ever start off like that. We, we looked at a few sectors. The biggest pain, and I think the, the best growing pain for us was in the realization that we're not actually fixated or we were fixated on industries while we were in awe and more in interest and more importantly had the expertise of working in solutions. And when we realized that we can actually help companies with certain pain points that they have that were agnostic to their sector, that we realized were actually sector agnostic. Mm -hmm. But in order to get to that stage, we interacted with tens to 20 odd companies week on week and realized that we're hearing the same a common thread, but they're not in the same industry. So what happened in that process of the learning was our portfolio wasn't really growing. Uh, not apart from the fact that we didn't have many companies in the portfolio, I'm even talking the ones that we had, we just weren't, we weren't even going to identify what is that one recurring itch of theirs. And um, the second we cracked that, we enabled ourselves to realize that the speed of which our portfolio companies grow uh, was, was exponential and uh, thus we saw a multiple in the number of companies we started interacting with that wanted to interact with us and uh, that's how we uh, enabled working with other accelerators and funds because we realized that their sector focused were solution focused mm -hmm. and we started creating these little huddles with them and that's where we started focusing on industries but our, our approach is always in more micro. From a layman perspective, you've got to showcase that you're focusing on industries. So that was a huge learning for us. So throughout the process, you've all obviously had failures. I mean, that's a part oh, of yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Take another podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so maybe in short, how do you try to deal with them or overcome them? Roughly, or learn three, from yeah, them? roughly three points. I. I, I narrow down to. First and foremost, you s if you've begun a new venture, you're signing up for failure. Um, and that is not a pessimistic view, that's just the realistic and the optimistic view. Um, which means if you've signed up for it and you're willing to go through it, you deserve success in whichever magnitude your hard work will repay it in. That's one. The second is in order to acknowledge your failure, you've got to be able to sit and look it in the eye, which means you have to figure out what part of it failed and in which moment did failure occur. To break that into an analogy, if I was building again this, this glass and I realized that it's the ATML glass that's not selling and I continuously tried selling it and I made a thousand of these units, that's a failure because thousand didn't sell. But is the glass the failure or is the quantity that it's serving the failure? It's the quantity. If I can acknowledge that, could we get to the 250 ml? So you have to acknowledge that it's not the entire project that's failed, it's a part of it. Um, and that takes patience. And lastly, more so because you know all of us are spending most of our lives building, building ourselves professionally in order to satisfy ourselves personally, which is again you know, a riddle that no one's being able to figure out, but it's just the way we work as human beings. We have to realize that our professional failures do not equate to our personal failures. And our personal failures do not equate to our professional failures. They're two different parts of our lives. We do live two different lives. The ones we live in the morning, the ones we live in the evening, whenever your shift is at work and whenever your shift is as a human being in your personal life. So you have to be able to acknowledge that 
and I'm going to put the most cliched comment <laughs> that comes to my mind right now, but as they keep saying the grass is green, greener, hmm. we actually are on both sides of the grass. So we'll always have that. But you cannot sit on one side and believe you're not. You know, if, if one side is dull, and you cannot say that your professional personal life is the same because you will never be able to stay happy in that. And that means you have no energy. And if you have no energy, then it's hard to not only just be an entrepreneur, but even just a regular human being. That's very profound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So before we wrap up, I had a few, a couple of fun questions. Okay, great. Questions. I think we were going too <laughs> philosophical otherwise. Or I would take the blame for that. <laughs> <which are. laughs> okay. So if not an entrepreneur, what would you be doing instead? I'd be a professional footballer. I mean, I'd like to be. I don't know if I'd get <laughs> scouted. <laughs> did you try? Because I know you said you... I did um, play for a club, yes. Yeah? I played for a club in England. So Interesting. Would I be able to sustain that? I'm just going to go with yes. Of course. I'd hope so. If you can sustain being an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's great. So you said uh, you mentioned that you read a lot. You mentioned um, articles or yeah. if you could tell me like one or two books oh, of that you've read that you recommend. Uh, without a doubt, um, it's uh, Richard Branson's Screw It, Let's Do It. That's a great book. It is. Uh, he's captured entrepreneurs uh, in their truest form with, through his life. Hmm. That's one. Um, another book which is not at all uh, non-fiction uh, or even business related is uh, Mitch Albom's Five People You Meet in Heaven. Uh, it's a fiction, but it talks about in a person's life and how five people just make sense to his entire existence. The reason I actually recommend this book is because as an entrepreneur, when you're building something, you can get distracted by so much. But when you have to, again, be that derby horse with the blinders, you've got to ensure that you're only looking at one to five or one object that you want to focus on. And this book talks about the five most important elements, i.e. human beings, that shaped an entire protagonist's life. So I think it really stems to what an entrepreneur should be focusing on. That's great. So um, this is a very interesting question, but um, if you could have one superhero, a superpower, what would that be and why? Ooh. Oh <laughs> my god, this is hard. <laughs> Um, but I would, uh, <laughs> I would, oh god, this is so hard. It could uh, be as weird or as far-fetched as you'd like. I think uh, being able to, uh, I'm going to give a really very, very boring answer. <laughs> but I, I wish I could see uh, industries two quarters before others can. Not not just one quarter. I, li I like the whole aspect of being able to see and predict uh, different industries. You, you know. really will have an edge. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, it's, 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 and this is not a selfish reason. This is for the entrepreneurs. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think that would be, uh, that would definitely be a superpower. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Sano. Thank you so much for having me. allowing me to interview you. It was thank great. You.